Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. All right, John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you were clean. When he had washed their feet and put put on his outer garments and resumed into his place, he said to them, do you understand that I have done what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not, not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen." But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. So has anybody ever seen an episode of Hoarders? Any Hoarders fans? Or fan, I mean, okay. So you've seen, so some of you have seen Hoarders. Some of you are afraid to com- admit that you've seen it and enjoy it. And then some of you are proud of it, and that's great. And if you don't know what it is, Hoarders is this TV show uh, that uh, it's really about uh, people who have this thing called compulsive hoarding disorder. And it's, and it's really, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a really heartbreaking show because it shows uh, countless stories and images of, of things of, like, of homes in such broken, dilapidated states uh, where people cannot get rid of the garbage in their home. And there, there's one scene that I remember where like this lady sit, like sleeps on uh, these cardboard boxes surrounded by, uh, not to be crude, but like, like animal feces. Like it just gets that 
bad in the home. Um, so actually, to start off our time, we're going to just look at a, an image of someone who struggles with, with hoarding. Can we get that up there? So this is what a typical hoarding house looks like. All right? Take that in. See what that's like. As you, as you look at this, like what emotions begin to rise up in you? Or like what thoughts kind of rush through your mind? Okay? You know, keep it to yourself. I don't need to hear it. It's fine. It's just... <laughs> It's a question. Now, you see that woman in the middle? Like, what, what, is it, what does it do to you to know that this is this woman's every day? Maybe it doesn't really bother you that much because you're like, I don't, that's a Google image. I don't really care who this person is. But what if this woman was your friend? Your mom? Or your sister? Uh, Someone in your discipleship group? Or what if it's the person sitting next to you right now? Like, what does it do to know that this person's life is in shambles and that their life is, for a lack of better words, a mess? Would you be the first one to sign up, to sign in and go into that home and clean it up? I would imagine there might be some hesitation because, like, frankly, you have no idea what's under some of these boxes. Like, you have no idea what's going to pop out after you clean up the pizza that has mold on it. And you, you have no idea how long it'll take to clean the home. You might be wondering what in the world is growing in that toilet. Like, you, you start asking yourself, like, how good of a friend are we? Like, are we that good of friends for me to do this? And do I love this person enough to expose myself to unimaginable kinds of human filth? And while those are legitimate questions, and I don't blame you for asking yourself tonight, what we'll be talking about is how Jesus enters in to the messiness, the disorganized, the chaotic stories of our lives. Because while many of us have no idea what it's like to live in a hoarder house, we know what it's like to have a hoarder heart. Being a human is a messy ordeal, all right? Because many of us have hearts, much like this room, where it's filled with things that we are unwilling to part with. Broken relationships, unmet expectations, never feeling enough for yourself or for others, jealousy, envy, dead dreams, you name it, you know it. And no matter how much you try to ignore it, I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, you just begin to live with it. It's just your new normal. You can take the image down, Greg. You know, I've been doing this whole, like, being a human thing my whole life. And uh, it's, like, really surprising to me how we, as humans, try to deal with our mess. We do one of two things. We either try to cope with it or we try to clean it up ourselves. And, and the irony of coping is that we usually end up using things that add to the mess of our lives. So we try to fix our problems by adding things to that will become a problem. So like, like we'll use sex so that we don't feel lonely, but then that person leaves you and now you're left with another bag of I just feel worthless to add to your existing pile. Or we use porn to alleviate ourselves of anxiety and then we feel good, but then we're left with more anxiety because we're afraid somebody might find out that we just watched it. 
And it's not even just always the bad things either. Like sometimes it's the good things that end up getting twisted. Like we use job success or good grades to feel valuable. And with each promotion, an A you get feels good, but then you're worried that you may not matter after it's all said and done because you can't always repeat those results. Or worse, maybe you're, you know, afforded certain luxuries in this life and instead of just enjoying that you use it to lord over people and arrogance and pride begins to infect our hearts like mold hidden behind walls. So then we as a culture, what do we do? We try to just clean it up. Uh, you know, I, I am a counselor as well and something that gets thrown around is the, is the idea of uh, medicating through self-care. And listen, I, I really do believe in self-care. I really do think it's a worthwhile practice to engage in, but I often see it more abused than used well because it's used as an excuse to avoid the things in our lives that need to be dealt with. And therefore, there's these taglines, right? Like, if it doesn't make you happy, you better Marie Kondo that thing, get rid of it. Or if it takes more from you than it gives life to you, you got to ditch it. Imagine you being that person that has to get ditched. And if it's not self-care, our culture then advocates for a change in perspective. Uh, I was watching, and I'll say it, I was watching American Idol. Uh, like, who watches that? Well, I do. Uh, and we were, I was watching it with Rachel, and uh, one of the judges said to a contestant, uh, it was Lionel Richie, because uh, if you know Lionel Richie, that man just like, he's like a, he's like a walking yoga mat. Like he's just all zen and everything. And he, uh, there's this contestant who was born with, um, with an uh, uh, eye defect. And a lot of his story was just about how he feels broken all the time. And, um, and he really identifies with that broken part of himself. And so then Lionel Richie, after this guy just sang his heart out, was like, hey man, you, you always begin your stories about how broken you are. You need to stop calling yourself broken. Because if you're broken, then I have to admit I'm broken. And if I'm broken, then Katy Perry's broken. And if Katy's Perry, Katy Perry's broken, then Luke Bryan's broken. And if we, the judges, are broken, everybody in this room has to admit they're broken. So stop saying you're broken. You're not broken. You're just unique. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but here's the thing. If a, you have a wound on your arm and it's bleeding, saying that it's anything but a wound doesn't stop the bleeding. Just because you call something not broken doesn't make it whole. So what do we need then? It's not another medication. It's not another self-care day. What we need is someone who is willing and able to venture into the mess of our lives without restriction or hesitation and is able to help clean it up. So as we read tonight's text, I want us to focus on why and how Jesus enters into the messiness of our lives. And it's really important that we get this right because there's a big juncture that we're hitting to here in John 13. Because John, as a, as a book, as a gospel, is broken into three parts and we're finally in the last section of John. And John 13 is the beginning where it highlights the last week of Jesus' life. And within this larger section, there's a subsection called the Farewell Discourse, which spans between John 13 to John 17. And the purpose for this Farewell Discourse is for Jesus to let his disciples know that he's going to leave, because he knows he's going to the cross. And if you don't know that, spoiler alert, now you know. But he also provides a guide and plan for how his followers are meant to live on this earth until he returns again. So essentially, this section is the foundation of what it means to walk with Jesus. 
Because Jesus knows that being his disciple and walking on this earth is not clean and pristine. It is messy business. So these first 20, first, these first 20 verses start off Jesus' teaching, so we should really pay attention to what Jesus highlights because it sets the pace and the focus for the rest of the chapters. So let's turn back to our text right here. 13, 13, verses 1 and 2. It's before the feast, and it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I truly love the way that John starts off this whole little discussion with his disciples. Because before, uh, before Jesus says anything, before he does anything, before anything happens, this is what he wants his people to know. There's one foundational thing that he loves them in fact verse 2 says that he loved them to the very end and it's an immediate context Jesus is saying that he is going to love his disciples in that room until the very end because Jesus is saying like look following after me is going to be really hard and if you all don't know that yet and if you're a newer Christian I need to let you know being a Christian ain't easy and sometimes it ain't fun and Jesus knows that. So he says, listen, it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be messy, but, but hear me. My love for you knows no ends because there is no end to me. And if there is no end to me, there's no end for my love towards you. And the reason I love that it starts that way is because it communicates from the very beginning that when Jesus looks at you, when Jesus looks at me, he sees us through his love for us. Because often when people look at you for the first time, they're sizing you up, right? How attractive do you look? How trendy do you, are, do you look? Uh, do you, it, they look at what car you drive. They look at your social media presence and be like, why does she make that face? Why is he showing off his shirt like shirtless? Like, like they're, they're just, we're just gauging each other at all times. We're not looking at each other as humans. We're just trying to gauge how we should like, talk with somebody. If you feel like you're out of my league, I may not talk to you. If you look like someone that can help me, maybe I'll get close to you. We're always just gauging each other at how to use one another. But Jesus looks at you and it doesn't gauge you on how he can use you. He looks at you on the, on, the, on, the, on the idea he loves you. He doesn't look at you and go, wow, you look rough. Sucks to be you. He doesn't look at you and say, no, nah, there's no way I'm stepping anywhere near that person's mess. No, he looks at you and says, I love you. And then Jesus says in verse 3 that Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority, meaning that he had all the divine power at his disposal. And so knowing this, Jesus gets up from the dinner table and it's, it's like meant to have like this little bit of gravitas to it. Like if you've ever seen like one of those medieval movies, um, Lord of the Ring counts, right? Like, and like when the king or queen rises from their throne, it's like this slow getting up. As they get up, everyone is just like, what's the king or queen gonna say? And, and their crown shimmers and, and their robe kind of like drapes their back and it's, and it's like, what's gonna happen? And so Jesus, with unimaginable, unimaginable power, he gets up and then what does he do? He removes his clothes. <laughs> and he gets on his hands and feet and starts to wash the feet of his disciples. Like what a confusing scene this must have been because this, this is not a normal or expected event. Jesus is the rabbi. Jesus is the king of the cosmos. He had all authority. 
And what in the world is he thinking that he would go to his disciples and begin to wash their feet? His, his disciples should be washing his feet, massaging them for as long as he asks, not the way, other way around. Jesus has the power of the cosmos at his beck and call. He could have had the angels come and serve him, and he could have had his way with anything, but Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? He cleans their feet. And I, I, listen, I've read this passage plenty of times in my lifetime, and, and I've never truly understood it, and, and something stuck out to me this time. I've always thought that Jesus took off his outer garments because he just didn't want to get his... Um, his clothes wet and dirty, which I probably should have known was a wrong interpretation because like the man's about to touch other guy's feet. And if you don't know this, most, disciples, most of the apostles, they were teenage boys. Ain't nobody got worse feet than teenage boys. Okay? So Jesus wasn't taking off his outer garments because he was, a, he was worried about getting dirty. <laughs> he, he was getting dirty. But if a man were to take off his outer garments, you know what would be left? It's this thing called a loincloth. And all it is, is the best way to imagine it is just a, an adult diaper. Okay? So Jesus is there. Like, it's hard to imagine sometimes, like, this is our Savior. But yes, this is the, this is the image. He takes off his outer garments, and he's left in his loincloth, which is like an adult diaper. And this is, this is like exposing and embarrassing even more so because in the first century, there was only one group of people in society that walked around in loincloths. They were slaves. And the only people who were willing or, or co commanded to wash people's feet were slaves. See, in that culture, there was three levels uh, of, of status. Master, servant, and slave. So what category would you imagine Jesus falls into? master and his disciples fall in the category of disciple so slave uh, servant <laughs> thank you who anybody fall in the category of slave here not that we see but Jesus being the master does something so unimaginable he does the work so lowly that even his own disciples wouldn't be willing to do it so Jesus is there in a loincloth, exposed and lowly, gets on his hands and feet, and he begins to tackle the dirt of his disciples. He postures himself as a slave. Why? So that we would know that there is no degree of lonely, lowliness that he is unwilling to enter into. And out of all the people that is willing to do this, it is the king of creation. King Jesus declares that over you. No one forces him to do this. He does it out of his own willingness. Jesus has the power of the universe on the tip of his fingers. And how does Jesus use and exercise his authority? To love you. To serve you. You and me. See, Jesus is the perfection of love and power embodied. And this is why it should be comforting to us. Because plenty of us have heard from somebody, I love you, and it, it feels good in the moment, but you're not quite sure anything will come through because of it. And there are people who may help you, but you don't know if they actually love you, so you're wondering if the, it'll stop. But here, he says, my love and my power are for you. That when he looks at your lives and he sees how much sin, pain, and suffering are filling up the rooms of our hearts, he says, I'm going in. 
I promised you, I told you when things get messy, I will be there because I will love you to the end. My love is towards you and my power is for you. And trust me on this, we need this power and love because the mess in our hearts and our lives cannot be cleaned out by us or by anybody else. You see, as Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, uh, he eventually gets to Peter, and we don't know whether Peter's the first disciple he cleans, the last one, or the middle, or any, we don't know in what order Jesus cleaned the feet of the disciples, but we know is this, Peter wasn't about it. He says this in verse six, uh, Jesus came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? See, Peter sees Jesus take on the posture of a slave and that, his rab- and that his rabbi is cleaning his feet, which is a complete no-no. There's nothing worse for a Jewish rabbi to do than what Jesus is doing, and Peter does not want any part of it. Like, Peter is just so adamant. He says this in verse 8. He goes, you shall never wash my feet. Imagine telling the Lord, like, God, no. No, you ain't touch my feet. But what he's saying here is, Jesus, you will never, I will never let you serve me. It's interesting. Why, 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 would G, why would Peter refuse the opportunity to be served by Jesus? It's because to accept help means you can't help yourself. And that's a terrifying place to be, isn't it? Like to confess that you need help means that you're weak. And no matter how much society tries to spin it into a positive, listen, asking for help means one thing. You can't do it yourself. And so Peter here rejects Jesus' love and offer of service and responds with self-righteousness. He says, no, listen, Jesus, I'm good to serve you, but I don't need you to serve me. Like, think of the arrogance Jesus, you need me to help you, but I don't need you to help me. But see, Peter doesn't see that Jesus is talking about more than just cleaning feet. Listen, Peter can clean his own feet. He's not a savage. Like He, he, can, he can clean between the, the crinkles of his toes. That, that's not what Jesus is offering. Jesus is talking about himself cleaning out the hoarded and broken, dilapidated hearts of humanity. Jesus says, you need me to enter into your mess and help you clean this up because you can't do it on your own. You can't fix yourself. Like, hear this tonight. I don't know some of you, and I don't know all of your stories, but hear me on this. You cannot fix yourself because if you could, you would have already done it. Let me tell you, your hearts, it's crazy. Hearts, beautiful but dangerous things. Your heart hoards things quicker than you can get rid of it. Okay? You can try to dump it all out of the stuff you want in there, and somehow the quicker you dump it, the faster it comes in. Like, I don't know if any of you have ever been scrolling through Instagram and you see someone's post, and it, like the caption's like, May photo dump. And, and the first thing you think like crosses your mind is like, No one cares because you're a dump. Like... <laughs> Like something about that person's life just like irritates you and you have like no reason to be annoyed by them, but you just do. Or maybe some of you who go to the gym, like have you ever noticed like the most ripped people are the most loud? Like we get it. 
we, we see you. We don't need to hear you too and feel bad about our noodle arms. Like we don't, and, like, and as you see them work out, you're just hoping that as they lift these weights over their head that somehow it'll slip and like knock them out. Or how about those moments that you just pass by a mirror and you're afraid to actually look at yourself in the reflection because you feel disgusted with what you see? All those moments and thoughts and feelings and actions all begin to pile quickly into your heart and we so desperately try to handle it and try to medicate it and try to solve it and somehow it rushes out back faster and faster into our hearts and our souls and we can't dump it out. Peter may not know it, but he's in great need. We may not want to accept it, but we are in great need, y'all. Jesus desires to serve us and to enter into our mess because we cannot help ourselves. So when Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. There's this all or nothing offer on the table, okay? He says, if you want to be part of this new kingdom that I'm coming with, I have to wash you. If you want to experience a life that is full, despite the difficulties and messiness of this life, I have to serve you. Because if I don't do this, you will never get the kingdom. And this should cause us all to pause for a moment. And you're going to have to wrestle with this for a second. You're going you're to have to ask yourself, what do you want more? Do you want to hold on to a life that crushes you under the weight of your own sin and mess? Or are, we, are you willing to finally admit that you can't help yourself and experience the love of Jesus who is able and willing to enter into your brokenness and make you whole and clean? Which one do you want? Because Jesus wants to share himself completely with you because he's seen your condition he sees the weight that you carry in your heart that you were never meant to. And he says, let me take this from you. And I love what happens when he does. Because as Jesus enters into the home within our hearts, he's not like, wow, this is worse than I thought. I gotta go. No. He comes in. And he makes it the house that it was meant to be. He makes it a beautiful space where the spirit of God resides. And as God makes this home what it's meant to be, we become more alive. It's crazy. I've seen it time and time again that when Jesus begins to enter into your heart and he begins to clean up the house, he like throws out the windows of envy and he replaces it with joy. And then he rips up the car carpets of anger and he puts down carpets of peace and the doors of worrying and anxiety become unhinged and he places it with a, a path of faithfulness. The piles of garbage of worthless lies and confusion that you've been letting build up in your heart are finally removed to reveal a home that is full and satisfied. This is what Jesus wants to build in you. This is what he wants to share in, with you. And as Jesus accomplishes all of this, he does it by serving. And then he does this crazy thing, y'all. He stops, he looks at his disciples and he goes, it's your turn. Like he, he wraps up cleaning, puts his clothes back on because, you know, the man doesn't want to be in a diaper anymore, I get it. And he takes his place at the table 
And he tells them, listen, you've, been, you've called me a teacher and you call me Lord and that's a good thing, it's right. So listen to what I'm about to tell you. Did you see how I just cleaned your feet? Now you're gonna do the exact same thing for one another. And I can just imagine like in, like in the minds of the disciples being like, oh, hold on. Like it was okay when you did it. <laughs> it was cool. But like I definitely do not want to touch any of these guys' feet. Like, I just don't. I don't want to get into the messiness of somebody else's stuff. But then Jesus says this. He goes, listen, if it's not too lowly for me, it ain't too lowly for you. The servant is not greater than the master. And Jesus has to make this command because serving is so countercultural and is so counterhuman. Like, it's actually built into our societal makeup. Like, think about the service industry. The jobs that make up that industry are what? Janitors, maids, teachers, nurses, waiters, bartenders. Like our society looks down upon these roles. Like parents don't typically hope that their child would enter into these career paths by choice. And these are jobs that our society deems as lowly, so we pay them peanuts, honestly. And we don't speak highly of these professions. And it's also why many of us desire to be our own bosses, right? Like, we don't want to serve anyone else other than ourselves. And honestly, I don't even think it's because we don't want to serve anybody else. I think it's because the people who are supposed to lead over us just abuse them. So bosses are terrible. And so they're like, listen, I'd rather just have my own business and do it my own way than have some guy beat, me, beat on me and abuse me. Yet Jesus looks to his disciples and says, listen, serve and love the way I serve and love. I've washed your feet to give you an example of what that should look like. And here's what we need to know. Serving is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In the kingdom of God, serving is the most foundational aspect of being a, a disciple of Jesus. You know why? Because the kingdom of God was built on serving. Jesus literally established his kingdom by serving. Like, follow me for just on this tangent for a second. Every kingdom in human history, throughout all human history, how were their kingdoms built? They were built on the backs of slaves, on the blood, sweat, and tears of servants. Kings never did the dirty work themselves. But that's not true of Jesus. Jesus didn't establish his kingdom through your blood, sweat, and tears. The kingdom of God was established through Christ's blood, sweat, and tears on the cross. So what do we establish by serving? It's not the kingdom. That's Jesus' responsibility. Do you know why we're called to serve? It's for the people in this room. It's for the people in your home, in your job, in your schools, in your commute, because every single one of them have the exact same need you do. They need somebody to step into their mess because they can't do it on their own either. None of us can. Like, this is why the church, like, this is why I love, like, like mm, I love the church. I want to use some adjectives that I probably can't because this will get recorded, but the, I freaking love the church. I really do. And I say that because so many people in our generation, millennials and Gen Z, are like, I'm over the church. The church sucks. I get it. It's not the church that sucks. It's that humans are sinners. We make mistakes. But the church is beautiful. 
The church is a family of God, and it's so necessary in our world. And, I, and by the church, I don't mean this building. I couldn't care less if Mosaic had this building or not. By this church, I mean the people of God. And God designed us as his family to be his hands and feet. And this community should look no different. This is why we have our discipleship groups. This is why we're doing Summer House Church. This is why I love it when our young adults gather together to worship Jesus together. It's because we need places like this where we can all be seen and known and transformed. A place where we can be served and where we can serve others. A place where you're not the most important person in the room. I need you to know that for a second. Man, most of your life is built on making sure you are most loved, most pep, like pampered and, and pedicured. You need to stop that. That's, you don't need that kind of pressure in your life. You don't need to be the most important person in the room. What you need is to come to a place where people will fight for you, a place where if you run, people will come to you and remind you of the goodness of God. Because how else in the world are we going to make it? Like, look at the world around you. How do you think you're going to make it another day alone? How else are we going to invite others to see the kingdom of God when they have so much pain and death in their hearts? It's only, this is the answer, y'all, it's only when the people of God who have been made whole through Jesus have experienced his transformative love gets on their hands and feet and start to wash others. Y'all hear me on this? This is how the church is beautiful. It's when we've met with Jesus and then we do the exact same thing he did. We get dirty. We get into the mess and we start wiping tears and we start replacing tattered clothes. We, we bring them into our homes. We fill their empty stomachs with food. We love and serve just as Jesus loved and served you. That's that's how the church is beautiful. That sounds great, right? Like, wouldn't you want to be a part of the community I just described to you? I think that's an easy yes. It's okay. And Jesus made the formula quite simple, right? I serve you, you serve others. And in doing so, I'm served through your obedience. Pretty simple. And here's the thing. Many of you in this room, you already serve here at Mosaic. So this ain't going to be a call to volunteer harder. And it makes me happy. Truly, I love seeing that young adults, y'all are in kids ministry, student ministry, worship and production ministry, coffee bar, connection team. Some of you do all of it, and I'm like, y'all need to take a break, stop. That's not what God wants for you. But the idea then of serving, I get it, is not, is not lost on most of you. But I believe many of us have understood serving incorrectly. We've mixed it up. Jesus says, I serve you, you serve others, and then I'm served through that process. And what we've made it is this. Jesus, we hear Jesus tell us to serve. We serve others. And then maybe we hope Jesus serves us. And I, I am so guilty of this. Okay? I'm not calling anybody out if I'm not willing to be the first one. Being in full-time ministry myself has revealed my own tendency to serve simply because Jesus told me to do it. I may lose a, lot, a bit of credibility here, but there are times where I serve, not because I love you, but because I'm like, Jesus told me to do it. I don't really care about these people. And when, when I do that, it's, I, it's because I serve out of a place of obligation instead of transformation. 
See, and when this happens, and this can happen to any of you here, we're, we're more prone to use serving as a way to gain validation from others and to gain favor from God. And when I do that personally, man, crazy thoughts come into my head and lies start infiltrating my heart. Especially when it comes to how I serve this community. Like, like there'll be times where I catch myself actually saying, this ministry needs me. This community needs me. How arrogant. Like there'll be times where I'm writing my message and I'll be spending 11, 12, 13 hours because I'm, I'm, I'm writing and rewriting whole sections of my message because parts of my heart are convinced that if I don't nail this message, your lives won't be transformed. Or even worse, that you won't consider me your favorite preacher. Like, what of juvenile thought? Or sometimes when I haven't led well or, or I didn't preach as well as I wanted to, I just believe that Jesus doesn't want me around anymore. And I've noticed that these thoughts and emotions settle and fill my heart when I spend more time doing things for God instead of spending time with him. See, because being washed by Jesus and being with him day in and day out is where we experience his love and his power. And it's out of that place where we can begin to serve others well. Because we serve at our best when we know we are always loved and served by Jesus. Obligation makes it all about you. But transformation makes it all about him. And this is the opportunity we have to serve from a place not of obligation, but of love and transformation. So how do we respond to this tonight? I'm gonna first address the people in this room who are not serving to any capacity right now. Don't worry, I don't, I'm not calling anyone by names because I don't really know. But I, I imagine there would be some. And I'm not judging you at all. But I want you to ask yourself, if you're not serving what has stopped you from entering into the mess of other people's lives? What is it? Do you just feel unqualified? Do you feel unworry, unworthy? Do you feel like your sin unqualifies you from helping others with their sin? Or maybe it's just Christ's call to serve hasn't become real to you. But listen, in any case, this is my encouragement and my hope for you this week is that you would submit your heart to Jesus and ask him to reveal his heart for you. And, and we can make it even more practical. It doesn't have to be all spiritual like that. Just go talk to a leader or talk to somebody here and just start sharing your heart with them because out of the abundance of sharing your heart, God will replace his love in there. Allow this community and this church to serve you as Christ has served us. Second, for those of you who are serving at Mosaic, let me just thank you personally. You've done so much good work for the people in this community and on Sundays. I am a recipient of many of what you do every week. Thank you for allowing me to see Jesus through you. But let me ask you one question tonight. Are you serving out of obligation? Or are you serving out of transformation? The only way for you to know that it's to ask Jesus to examine your heart and to reveal what parts are still filled with things that you've hoarded over the years and are stopping you from serving and loving in the way that Christ has loved and served you. The crazy thing is your heart betrays you. The way you serve reveals the condition of your heart.
So if you start serving out of obligation, man, please do not walk but run to Jesus. And then lastly, let me just briefly challenge all of us tonight about what serving looks like. Because serving goes beyond just helping out at the church. Okay? Some of you are like, oh, great, awesome. I don't got to serve in kids. Hold on. Jesus called us to serve more than just other Christians. It's definitely no less than serving other Christians, but his call extends for us to serve everyone around us. Serving isn't something that we do on the side. It's not something that we add to our calendar. Being a servant is a core part of who you and I are meant to be in Christ. So what could serving in and out of the church look like? It looks like rearranging your finances so that you can start giving generously to those around you in need. It looks like leading a small group of students and showing up for those boys and girls because being a teenager is hard and they need help. It looks like forgiving and reconciling with a family member of a, or friend that you've had a falling out with. It looks like inviting and hosting people in your home. It can even look as simple as this. Asking somebody, how are you doing, and actually mean it. Asking how they're doing and be like, can you please respond, because I want to listen to your story. It can be that simple. And there are plenty of ways to serve, but, but this is the way I would gauge it. If by doing this act, am I lovingly and willingly entering into the mess of others, people's hearts and lives? If the answer is yes, you're serving somebody. And I just want to finish with this vision of what this could look like for our community. Because I think if we started to do all of these things as a community, we would start to look more and more like the kingdom of God. We would start seeing loneliness decline. And selfishness leaving hearts and arrogance won't grip our souls. We'll have a generation below us that won't be known by depression and anxiety because we spent our days pursuing their hearts instead of thinking about ourselves first. I think actually our homes will start to become places of safety and that within this community, sacrificial love will be the currency and bedrock of everything that we do here. This is what could happen if we let Jesus serve and love us and then serve and love out of that. So maybe remember tonight that all of this began and will end with Jesus stepping into our story and rewriting it from the inside out, that he has the power and control to remove all the things that corrode your heart. May then we in turn respond in love and servitude towards everyone so that this world may know that the love of God is real and is able to transform their hearts too. Let's pray. Father, I cannot imagine, cannot imagine what it's like to be the king of the universe and then be willing to condescend themselves to experience the brokenness of this world to be spit on, to be rejected, to be beat, to be cast aside. There are moments where I think, Lord, why would you do that? And then I come upon passages like John 13. Because you love us to the end. Because you want a beautiful, beautiful kingdom 
filled of humble and serving children. So God, I beg you that you would make tonight's call so real to us. And God, I pray that if there are any of us in this place that have yet to experience the love that has been described tonight, that they would experience it now. Spirit, move in the hearts and minds of the people here tonight and pierce it and rest your love upon it. May we then seek to serve and love, not so that we can gain validation. We gain all that we need in you, but that we would eagerly let others know there's a kingdom worth giving everything up for. One where there's a king who loves to the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use the message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.